CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. This time in the Ben Jarofsky show, as I speak, it's Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Got a lot of political stuff to talk about. Got a lot of talk, a little reflection on Rupert Murdoch uh, stepping down if, uh, with his from his uh, media empire. But I, I just have to open. I always try to open with something that's going on in the news right now, uh, taken, taken from the newspaper that gives an indication of uh, what's happening in the world as we've had this conversation, uh, no, realizing that some people will not listen to this for another year or so. Just let that sink in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but this one is not a, um, uh, <laughs> a from the newspapers. This is a tweet. Uh, shout out McDumkey. He sent this to me because he knows I don't look at Twitter. This, I would argue... Um, would have to rank as one of the stupidest things I've uh, ever read uh, in the history of tweeting. Uh, and I, I, I call attention to it because it comes from a public official uh, that the citizens of the city of Chicago uh, came very close to electing as their mayor. They thought it would be a good idea to elect Paul Vallis as their mayor. 48% of the people uh, in the city of Chicago voted for him. I don't believe my guest who was patiently waiting was one of those 48 percent sure hope he wasn't uh and uh anyway so paul vallis tweeted this out in regards to uh former mayor rom who is now ambassador to japan rom uh and uh, here's what he said we have current ambassador to japan former mayor rom emmanuel willing to take on china while our current mayor plays handmaiden to stacy davis gates misspelled her name uh, and the chicago teachers union <laughs> I just, first of all, if you're going to rip Stacy, spell her name right, okay? <laughs> but so the the context of this is that Rob Emanuel sent out uh, a series of tweets blasting uh, the Chinese government. And he did that in his position uh, as ambassador to Japan. And eventually that caused a little consternation uh, in the State Department and the Biden administration. They asked him to cease and desist because he's supposed to be a diplomat. All right. He's supposed to be a diplomat. You're an ambassador. 
Diplomats are not like talk show hosts or podcast hosts or Newsweek columnists. They're diplomatic, okay? <laughs> They're there to keep the peace, not to aggravate things, okay? Like, if Rom wants to be a podcaster, come on back, Rom. The Rom and Ben show right now. But no, what he's doing, Rahm Emanuel, he is, he's clearly positioning himself for whatever comes next in his career. He's tired of being an ambassador. He feels neglected and ignored, which he is, because if you're an ambassador to Japan, no one's paying attention to you. So every now and then he does something to draw attention to himself. Prepare, I assume, he has the inside word that Richard Durbin is not running for re-election in 2026. And so he wants to position himself at the front of the list. That's my guess. Who knows? Who knows what's going on in his brain? Point is, he's ambassador to Japan. He's not the mayor. He's not a podcast host. He's supposed to be quiet. But no, he's blasting China here and there. So Paul Vallis and the Chicago Tribune, which are like, they're about as wacky as Vallis, the Chicago Tribune editorial board, pound for pound, the weirdest collection of editorials uh, you will ever read come out of the Tribune. Uh, they are praising Rom and saying he has tremendous courage for standing up to the Chinese. What a preposterous statement. That reminds me of the time years ago on a show I had a, a guest whose name escapes me at the moment. It doesn't even matter what his name was. And he uh, was a featured, uh, he had a show on RT, Russian TV. He's very proud of that, a talk show. And uh, so we got into a whole discussion like, don't you think feel kind of queasy about that you're kind of working for putin and he goes ben i'll have you know uh that nobody from russian tv uh, much less putin has ever chided me for saying something bad about putin and i'm like yeah because you're saying it in the united states (laughs) duh (laughs) you go say that in russia see how they do it so Rahm Emanuel is not a profiling courage because he blasts the chinese government I could blast the Chinese. They don't care about people outside their government. If he went to China and started doing that, would be a different story. But he's not doing it from China. It's not a profiling courage. It's another ROM hustle. And Paul Vallis, he's looking for any excuse to bash Stacey Davis Gates into Chicago teaching. I'd have to say, all right, maybe not the dumbest tweet of all time. Definitely in the running for this year. All right, without further ado, my distinguished guest will now introduce himself, and we have the deep dive to take, so introduce yourself. Thanks, Ben. Uh, It's really great to be here again. My name is David Ferris, a little bit under the weather, and I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, Um, author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and columnist at Newsweek and Slate, I guess that's happening again. So that's cool. Um, and uh, Rahm Emanuel, what courage. Yeah, that's like tweeting how much you hate the Turks from the capital of Armenia. You know, wow. <laughs> it's like, okay, you want to man a beachhead on, on Taiwan? You know, okay, you can, that, that's courage. But uh, saying mean things about China from your, uh, from your residence as the ambassador of Japan is, uh, uh, it's, <clears throat> That's not going to go down on the record books or anything. <laughs> no, it's it's essentially his way of saying, please pay attention to me. I'm here. <laughs> I want to run for senator. Oh, it's boring being ambassador to Japan. All right. Uh, let, let's uh, I got three things I want to talk to you about today. Uh, two have to do with columns that you wrote. One exceedingly depressing. 
about the Electoral College favoring Republicans, like this insane system we have to choose the leader uh, of our country. Uh, and the other one is about impeachment. But this is something I told you. It's just this. I just love to get your thoughts about this. We'll open with this. Rupert Murdoch stepping down. Uh, he's no longer run his little empire. He's going to turn things over to his son. Uh, and it seems to me uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, been around as long as I can remember. And uh, it goes back to the 70s when I first became aware of him. Uh, and he Then he was a force here in Chicago. At one point, he bought the Sun-Times, the Chicago Sun-Times. I want to say 1984. Don't quote me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and then the great Mike Royko uh, left the Sun-Times in protest and went to the Tribune. <sighs> Nothing was the same since for me. But anyway, um, your thoughts on the legacy of Rupert Murdoch and Fox, the TV uh, empire he created? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to point your finger at one person <laughs> as the agent of so many terrible things in the world right now, but Rupert Murdoch's decision to start the Fox News Channel um, in 1995, 1996, uh, and to turn it into like a, an elaborate partisan hack operation masquerading as a, an impartial news source has done just catastrophic damage to the United States and to its media environment. Um, Fox News Channel, there's, there's academic studies um, that show... Uh, how much vote share it increases for the Republican candidate, depending on the market penetration of Fox News. Uh, this was especially true in the George W. Bush years. And I think you can make a really reasonable case um, that Fox News and its cheerleading for George W. Bush was responsible for him, you know, quote unquote, winning that election that, of course, he actually lost. But we use this system that we use. We'll come to that later. Um, and so uh, you know, the, the rise of Fox News, you can trace to the uh, to the uh, the end of the Fairness Doctrine uh, in 1987, which was a set of FCC government regulations that um, at least tried to ensure that there was a level of impartiality to news broadcasts in the United States, you know, like uh, that give equal time to different viewpoints and things like that, um, probably was observed um, inconsistently. <laughs> even while it was enforced, right? Um, but when the, when the government said, we don't actually care what the content of your news is, just do whatever you want. Uh, I mean, you can have a broadcast license. Um, that created space for something like Fox News to compete um, with the big three over-the-air networks and, of course, CNN. Um, and Fox News grew exponentially in its early years and eventually eclipsed CNN as the most watched cable news network, the most trusted among a certain segment of, of the American population. Um, and there's actually, um, a, there's a documentary, there's a movie made by a woman who's like, how Fox News brainwashed my parents. Um, and it's like a sort of a, a literary subgenre of, <laughs> of people uh, where they go, you know, the kind of people that leave cable news on all day in the background and they never turn it off. You know, I feel like that's disproportionately Fox News viewers. And so people will go home and, and ask, like, um, why do my grandparents, um, what, you know, why do Nana and Pop Pop think that there's a, a, a child, uh, a child peddling scheme being run out of a pizza restaurant in D.C.? Um, and it's, all, you know, all all roads lead back to Fox News. Okay. Um, Fox News has been the leading purveyor of climate propaganda, um, you know, at, uh, 
climate denial propaganda in the United States and in the world. Um, they were the leading cheerleader for Donald Trump, for George W. Bush. Uh, they gave, you know, thousands of hours of airtime to things like birtherism and questioning whether Obama was born in the United States. Uh, any kind of so you think about any public issue in the United States, uh, particularly anything that involves conspiratorial thinking or misinformation or disinformation, and you're going to find Fox News right at the center of that. Um, and the way that they have clung to their reputation um, as a credible news source is that they, they do have a news operation for parts of the day hosted by relatively normal people <laughs> who, who aren't in on the, on the grift. Um, and so it's like, it depends on what time you turn Fox News on. If it's three o'clock in the afternoon, you'll probably just get some news that's presented with a, like a marginal right-wing bias, right? That, that probably wouldn't raise a ton of eyebrows if that's all it was. Um, but then you have the primetime shows um, with your, well, it's not Tucker Carlson anymore, but you know, Hannity and all these guys, Laura Ingram and um, all these sort of like wild-eyed um, reactionaries who are given you know, tens of thousands of hours to spew their lies and their hatred and their, and their vitriol. And this is what Rupert Murdoch did. This is his legacy. I know he's done a lot of other things in the news business, right? But the legacy is Fox News. The legacy is the is the sort of the destruction of trust between Americans, particularly between older generations of Americans and younger generations of Americans, because older generations are the ones watching Fox News. Young people, thank God, do not watch cable news um, in any kind of significant numbers, and I don't think that they ever will. So, um, you know, again, I, I think that Rupert Murdoch single-handedly warped the shape of the 21st century. That's my take on it. Um, so I'd be lying to you if I said I thought anything was going to change when he leaves, but uh, but he's the one that did it. Um, well, you, you mentioned how they shape the public's uh, view of things that are going on. Uh, and the one that pops to my mind the most uh, is Crisis at the Border, which has been a refrain on Fox TV before Trump. Uh, I remember I first became aware of it uh, because of Lou Dobbs. I think it was Lou Dobbs was the one uh, talking head who was talking constantly about a crisis at the border, a crisis at the border. Uh, and they would just they would always have footage that was meant to scare you of, I don't know, it looked where they were getting the footage. <laughs> who knows if it was legit. It was, you know, it's just like hordes of people rushing into water like they're trying to wade across the water etc this is supposed to scare you uh and i'm watching now here in chicago that play out with the busloads of migrants uh mostly venezuelans that are pouring into the city from uh, uh, uh texas and their governor abbott and the reaction to people in the city of chicago is like to a large degree shaped by Fox News, when how Fox News is presented is, and so here we are in this blue city, uh, David, that voted eighty five percent for Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama uh, and Joe Biden, and it's like the Fox News world, like we're somehow led to believe that this is a serious crisis that is threatening our lives and could potentially destroy uh, our country, and that something has to be done about it, and I'm like, I, I don't. I I just don't see that. I feel like that's an exploitation uh, and that's a, a figment of propaganda spun by Fox News over 10 years. What's your thoughts about all this? Sure. I mean, the, the crisis at the border is one of many 
issues that Fox turned from like a, a policy problem or a policy challenge into a crisis designed to scare white people and to voting Republican. I always remember that the, you know, the end result that, that Fox News wants, at the end of the day, they care about two things, right? They care about making money and they care about you voting for Republicans, right? They want your, they want the ad dollars for your eyeballs and then they want your vote. Um, and so if you, if you think about like whatever Fox is doing at any given time, um, it is either to suck more money out of the boomers <laughs> in the form of selling them, you know, ads for whatever, uh, you know, whatever products to appeal to, to folks over, over 55. Um, or it's to, it's to scare you into, into voting for the Republican party of the United States. Um, and the, and the border crisis is no different and it's no different here in Chicago, right? Like, um, the arrival of large numbers of, of migrants into the city of Chicago is a, it's like a policy challenge, right? Um, and I think it's one that most Chicagoans are, are taking um, with some, you know, some degree of uh, decency, right? Not everybody, <laughs> but we're not out there like, um, you know, losing our minds and, and uh, calling for martial law. We're just like, there's some migrants here. We need some, we need some money. <laughs> To, to house them and, and to take care of them. And I think you go out into the neighborhoods, I think you'll find a lot of people who are, who are rising to that challenge, um, who are showing their, their human decency and, and compassion. Uh, but there's going to be other people that are like, I don't, you know, I don't like this. I don't like how this looks. You know, like in my neighborhoods, Rogers Park, um, you know, it's, it's noticeable, right? I, I'm not scared by it, but it's noticeable. But what Fox News wants is for you to be scared of it. Right. They're like, the migrants are going to come and they're going to, kill your children. Um, and they're, they're going to go on crime sprees, right. And they do some carjacking. So you'll see any crime in the city of Chicago that's committed by one of these migrants in the next year or two years, it's going to be you know, like top of the fold on Fox news. There'll be like a nightly news story, national nightly news story, if anything bad happens. Um, and this is a, this is a pattern with Fox news that goes back decades, right? They will either, um, distort or blow out of proportion, a real issue, or they will create issues out of nothing, out of like whole cloth, like just a thing that they invented to scare Nana and pop up and make them vote Republican, like the war on Christmas. Yeah, the war on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. War on Christmas. We're like 20 plus years into the war on Christmas, probably the least successful war of all time. That's saying something. Yeah. Um, I tell you, this war has lasted longer than Afghanistan. You know, there are people turning 18 years old now that weren't even born when the war on Christmas started. And here it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, right. Like no one's fighting a war on Christmas, man. It's just, it's like a figment of their imaginations. Like um, some school board somewhere was like, let's not have a Christmas tree this year because, uh, and then they're like, Oh my God, Western civilization is being threatened. we got to run this wall to wall for months. Yeah. Um, any silly thing that's a leftist does anywhere. Um, they've turned the phrase happy holidays into, into like a culture war thing. Which is so crazy. It's just so crazy. Um, people still like, even in my like super duper lefty circles, people say Merry Christmas all the time. <laughs> okay, like they're just they're dreaming, they're hallucinating it, right? Um, war on Christmas, the caravans, all that stuff, right? Like every time there's an election, there's going to be um, a number of Fox camera crews following uh, migrant caravans around Central and, and South America, designed to scare us um, into into complicity, you know. So, um, yeah, the migrant stuff is just <laughs> different day, same story. You know, um, the Fox News is going to do what Fox News is going to do. 
And to make it worse for us, Ben, is they have this like weird obsession with Chicago. I think because Obama was from here, um, but they hate Chicago. Uh, they hate Chicago like more than any other American city, as far as I can tell, even New York. <laughs> I think they hate us more than New York now uh, because we produced Obama and we have a progressive mayor and we have a powerful teachers union, right? Like we have, like we tick every every box on the right wing uh, paranoia checklist, right? Um, we have, you know, we have teachers who, who aren't paid horrendously and they're like, oh, how dare they? Yeah. <laughs> how dare you make a decent living teaching our children? Yeah. <laughs> Scum of the earth, you know? Um, so well, you know, it's I'm interesting. When you said that, I just in my mind flashed on the evolution of Chicago uh, as sort of a, as a political symbol nationwide, uh, and I, I've lived through that evolution. And so, for most of my life uh, that I've been following politics, uh, Chicago w- resounded well with the Fox model. When it was Richard J. Daley, he was a Law and Order uh, mayor, and he was a kind of a Democratic mayor that Republicans liked. Uh, and um, in fact, he was, I don't want to bore you with this tangent, but in 1972, Daly was kicked out of the Democratic Convention by George McGovern forces uh, and immediately became a hero, uh, almost like of George Wallace stature to the you know Democrats who vote for Reagan. And then that continued. Uh, there was that brief moment when Harold was the mayor and when, when Harold died, Daly took, the baby Daly took over and Baby Daly was Republicans loved him. The Bushes loved Baby Daly, uh, and Karl Rove loved him, etc. and so forth. But you're right; it was Obama's uh, elevation that turned things around, and they wanted to uh, discredit Obama and say, oh, "This is the city he's from." That in Kenya, <laughs> it was like if you watch Fox News, you thought he was in Kenya, and then he went to Chicago and became a radical and. Uh, so you're right. That's uh, Chicago itself becomes a symbol. Uh, before we move on, with these two issues tie together, the uh, impeachment of Joe Biden is another uh, Fox TV. Uh, I don't know uh, product, in my opinion, uh, that it's it's very similar to all these other things that you're talking about, the caravans and uh, uh, you know border crisis, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, do you see Fox's role in the impeachment of uh, Joe Biden? Yeah, of course. I mean, the Hunter Biden, the whole Hunter Biden extended cinematic universe is is a product of Fox News. Um, the idea that the president's uh, troubled son is, <laughs> is something that any of us should care about at all is something brought to you by Fox News. And then, of course, Fox News has competitors now um, that are the way to compete with Fox News on the right is to be crazier than Fox News. <laughs> um, so you know, Fox News is, and its competitors are the ones who are bringing you um, such joyful little nuggets in our news cycle, like uh, Barack Obama is secretly running the government from Washington, D.C. They're like, why did he never leave? You know, like, why did he go back to Chicago? <laughs> like, it's anybody's business where the dude yeah. lives. But they're like, actually, so Biden is senile. And like, actually, they sneak Obama into the White House. You know, like, just stuff like crazy stuff, right? But this is stuff you will see on Fox News um, and, uh, and and its other uh, more right-wing peers. But um, the impeachment of Joe Biden is like... Um, <laughs> 
it's like a finding in search of a theory or a theory. It's actually a theory in search of a finding, right? Um, the theory is that Joe Biden is, is corrupt and that the Biden crime family um, is, is completing its decade long run of corruption and, and self-dealing. Um, that's the finding. And that Hunter Biden um, and his father, who was the president of the United States, um, were in cahoots together in the in the aughts, including when Joe Biden was just a private citizen. As much, I mean, as much as a former vice president can just can just be a private citizen. You know, when people talk about former presidents like this, they're like, "Well, it's just a private citizen now." And I'm like, "No, not really." You know, like he has Secret Service protection. He's not just a normal person, okay? But um, some of these allegations are from between um, 2017 and 2020 when he was not anything. Um, and they don't have anything to connect the dots. Um, so they're just hallucinating the dots and the connections between them. Um, I, I, if you ask someone, like, if you ask someone on the political right, like, what is the Hunter Biden scandal? They'll, they'll take a deep breath <clears throat> and they'll be like, um, Burisma, Ukraine, China. Something, something, <laughs> deals, drug, drug deals, big man, big Joe, uh, China. <laughs> China. Right, like, um, <laughs> uh, like the, you know, there's this old story that got trotted out during impeachment, yeah. uh, during Donald Trump's first impeachment. This is like the Iraq wars now. We're like, remember, okay, the first Iraq war. So, so Trump's first impeachment right. um, when he yeah. blackmailed the president of Ukraine on tape. Um, and then got Fox News to run around for months repeating his line that it was a perfect call. There was nothing wrong with that. Um, that was when I, I think it first became public knowledge that Hunter Biden had sat on the preposterously on the board of a Ukrainian energy for, firm um, in, in 2014. Uh, and you might ask, like, what did Hunter Biden know about Ukrainian energy? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> He was, look, I can't blame people for taking the easy way out. If they have super rich parents or super famous parents and they're just like, somebody wants to pay me 50 grand a month to go, I guess, just have my last name. Um, I didn't, you know, like that's going to be hard. Yeah. To down. But the reality is that Hunter Biden got put on the board of Burisma because his dad was the vice president and, and they wanted, you know, they were clout chasing. Um, and it, uh, and that's when they resurrected this, like what had, I think, been pretty obscure events at the time, but of, uh, of now president and vice president Biden leaning on Ukraine to fire, um, their like chief prosecutor, um, at the time. And ever since, and they did, they did fire him. Um, and ever since right-wingers have been like, see, they fight, he like, <laughs> Biden crime family, see, they fired the guy because he was the, he was investigating Burisma. And, um, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> this all plays into like the debunking industrial complex, but I don't know how how many times they have to be told (laughs) that the guy that got fired was friendly to Burisma and the guy that replaced him was hostile to Burisma. So Biden was doing his like drug addled son's bidding. He did it wrong. He did the wrong thing, did the absolute opposite thing of what you would do if you were a corrupt dude (laughs) trying to fire a Ukrainian prosecutor so your dipshit son can make another (laughs) 50 grand a month. So that's like half of the whole yeah. scandal, right? Like if you pick at it a little bit and you're like, what's the real scandal? They're like, well, the prosecutor <laughs> fired the prosecutor in 2014. Like anyone on the face of the earth besides people to watch Fox News. <laughs> <about anyways>. So, 
<laughs> he fired the prosecutor. It's true. Fired the prosecutor. Shoiken, Richard, Victor. They don't even know the name, right? Like get Shoikenenko. I don't know something. So, oh, <laughs> right. So that's like half the scandal. And then you know, Hunter Biden <laughs> continued to decline as a person because he has a drug problem. I kind of feel sorry for him. Um, although he is really, <laughs> he's really not a good person. But uh, you can, I, you know, he's had a little bit of a traumatic life, right? Like, um, his sibling and his mom was killed in a car accident when he was a little kid, and uh, his old brother, beloved brother, died, um, and his dad became president, right? Like, what a life! <laughs> what a life! So um, the allegations beyond there was like Hunter Biden had some passive business associates. Um, his pitch, I think, for people joining his business was, "My last name is Biden." Um, and I feel like we can make that work. And so he went to like China and he tried to make deals and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, from there, I kind of lose the plot, um, about what the scandal is, right? Like they found his laptop before the 2020 election and a bunch of news organizations wouldn't run with the story, um, because they couldn't ascertain the legitimacy or the provenance of like what was being put into the news from the laptop. I still don't think they can do that. Um, but uh, again, there wasn't, again, nothing that was found on the laptop was anything other than embarrassing. You know what I mean? Um, like Hunter Biden had a drug problem, but Joe Biden tried many times to get him to get clean. You know, um, Joe Biden took his son's calls, right? Like, and I, you know, <laughs> if you're a parent, then, you know, I mean, I don't care what your kid does, you're going to take their phone calls. You know what I mean? especially if you're, if your child is troubled, um, you know, like, I don't care. I'm like, kids could do anything. I'll still, even if, even if it's jail, I'll take their calls from jail. You know what I mean? And I'll try to, I'll try to talk them down from whatever the problem is. Um, but there's, you know, they have these like little threads of something that they see as corruption. Um, like Hunter Biden threatening someone in China. They're like, well, this isn't going to make the big man happy. <laughs> um, and it's like, <laughs> Do you have any evidence that the yeah. quote unquote big man did anything yeah. after that phone call? Uh, you know, they have Joe Biden like showing up at a dinner with people that Hunter Biden was courting um, business wise. They have, you know, Hunter Biden is in the White House all the time. Um, big shock. He is the president's child. I, you know, there's all, all these liberals that are like, mm, you know, like Joe Biden should cut Hunter out, not let him in the White House anymore. I'm like, you know, man. <laughs> so, some things are more important than politics, you know, like to ask the dude to cut his son out of his life, like get, like get lost, you know, or they'll be like, you know, this story about how like, Hunter Biden has a child uh, that like Joe Biden won't acknowledge or whatever. I know. I didn't really know what the story he is. He finally did acknowledge. Um, it's his granddaughter and he now, he did acknowledge her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it's not a great, doesn't make anybody in the Biden family look great. Um, but again, impeachment. Right. Like what is the crime or the or the treason or even the misdemeanor that's being alleged? And the reality is they don't have anything. Right. Like they have combed through the Biden's financial records looking for a link between Hunter Biden's business activities and some in some way that that Joe Biden illicitly profited from those business activities. And I want to just remind your listeners, um, even if you're famous. Making money is not yeah. illegal. <laughs> As Donald Trump could trading on your last name, yeah. not yeah. illegal. If trading on your last name was was illegal, 
half the people in our politics would be gone. Um, right. Like the, you, you can't just throw a bunch of crap at the wall and be like, well, this doesn't look good. Right. Uh, or, or like under Biden was clearly up to no good. He called his dad on this date. Uh, his dad went to dinner on this other date. Um, should we start the impeachment hearings? <laughs> so it's all just a ploy to keep um, some like vague idea of corruption in the news for the Fox News rubes to get mad about and vote for Trump next year. That's all this. Again, remember, at the end of the day, make money, elect right. Republicans. That's all Fox News is yeah. about. And you could do And this is a, an easy way to do both. Uh, and then, of course, don't forget, you, you left out on your recitation as, as good as it was uh, the naked pictures of Hunter Biden, which Marjorie Taylor Greene managed uh, to introduce uh, at a uh, congressional hearing. I guess they got them from the laptops. Uh, man, what a bunch of bad luck this guy has. His laptop uh, wound up uh, in the ownership or the possession of some Republican guy who, you know, who ran a repair shop. It's just the, the worst. This guy's got the worst luck. Uh, obvi- it really does. However, I mean, a lesson for all of us. Um, protect the information on your laptop. You know, I feel like. I feel like two-factor authentication should be called Hunter Biden authentication. You know? yeah. <laughs> a lesson for all of us. Hey. Lesson for uh, us. But, I, yeah, you're right. Uh, it, it serves uh, – I, I look at it as um, uh, two purposes. One, it just gives MAGA even more of a reason not to uh, consider voting for Biden, which they are – was not going to happen anyway. Uh, but then it does kind of muddy up the waters – as to whether Trump's any different than anyone else. So you're going to hear a lot of that uh, in the coming. <laughs> Our favorites of the New York Times will track down swing voters uh, in Michigan, Virginia, and Wisconsin who will say, I don't know, they all do it, you know, and they're all, I don't, Biden, Trump, <laughs> the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, or the classic New York Times story version of this, which would be like, both Democrats and Republicans have impeachment troubles. Yes, uh, <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah, we, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, <laughs> the New York Times, pathetic, you guys. Uh, and um, yeah, no. Uh, so I should point out it's only an inquiry at the moment. It's an inquiry. They're looking into it. They haven't voted to impeach him, just so everybody knows. Uh, we're not saying that they've impeached him. Uh, I, I'm watching this unfold. Uh, and I'm tying it, I'm watching also in, uh, at the same time, Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who we've talked about quite a bit on the show, his struggles with uh, the wacky, <laughs> the wackiest element of MAGA, which is saying a lot. Uh, and uh, there's like six of them, I guess, that have the ability because it's so close to um, imperil his uh, speakership. Uh, so he's just really, his hands are tied. Uh, and uh, clearly, this inquiry he uh, he introduced as a way to appeasing them, uh, and they've said, "No, we're not appeased. You've not gone far enough." <laughs> so, so now, now we can't get a budget. Okay, they're not going to. Uh, we're not going to have a budget apparently because he's got to appease them even further. Um, I've been putting this question to guests and get your thoughts on this. Don't you think it's like it might be a good idea for Kevin McCarthy to go in a different direction and uh, try to, like, figure out a way to hold on to a speakership without having to be, uh, you know, blackmailed by 
the wacky MAGA by, I don't know, just talking to the Democrats and seeing if he cut a deal with Democrats. Your thoughts on all this? I think the problem for McCarthy at this point in terms of cutting a deal with Democrats is that Democrats don't want to, Democrats don't really seem to want to bail them out. You know, um, like there was a time, I think, and I, I think we talked about this on the show when he became speaker with a very narrow majority. I said, you know, get ready for governance by a discharge petition. And that's like when a majority of the House will just like force something on the floor. We haven't actually really seen that yet. Um, they were preparing a discharge petition. Um, if the uh, if the debt ceiling situation had had gotten worse, um, but McCarthy effectively caved um, at that point and and signed a deal uh, that was much more favorable to Democrats than I think most people in his party wanted. Um, and his his far right flank was upset about that deal, and now they want their blood, and he's really in a pickle um, because if you know. <laughs> What they want is not going to happen, you know. Like the the like the, the demands that they're making, uh, you know, like big cuts to, to to programs that were that were passed under the under the Biden administration um, in exchange for um, in exchange for a budget. It's like it's not going to happen. I mean, it wouldn't happen even if Republicans controlled the Senate too, but they don't. Um, anything that comes out of the House is going to have to get through the Democratic-controlled Senate and then be signed by President Biden. So the idea that you're going to get like a bunch of items from the right wing grab bag into this spending bill, you know, the cutting Obamacare or eliminating the some of the stuff from the Inflation Reduction Act, like you know, torch the uh, electric vehicle subsidies or whatever, whatever inanity they're they're shooting for here, um, it's not going to happen. And so that's the fundamental bind that he's in is that the outcome here is going to be a classic DC compromise that, that pleases no one, right? <laughs> right? There will be like whatever budget gets passed, like we're not going to love it. Right. Um, but you're not going to get like a Trump budget through the democratic Senate and through Joe Biden. Um, and that's what the right wingers are holding him hostage for. So I don't know what I would do if I were him. I mean, I, I think that to, to save his speakership, he would have to fundamentally become the speaker of another group of people in the House. You know what I mean? So, like, if he can find 218 people, Democrats and Republicans, who would back him, sure, that would work. Um, but I don't think that he has that many Democrats willing to bail him out. Um, I think from a political perspective, Democrats are probably perfectly justified in saying, like, you know, uh, any harm that comes to Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans probably benefits us um, because Republicans get blamed for government shutdowns because people are not stupid. Um, and they know, like, there may not be, like, the average person on the street may not be able to, to give you a list of 25 ways that the parties are differentiated. Um, but one party like kind of, I guess, generally likes the government. The other one wants to, wants to starve it to death and cut it off and not have it work. Like that's pretty clear, which, which party is where on that question. Um, and so when the government shuts down, even when there's a democratic president, Republican, the people doing the shutting down are going to get the blame. Okay. 
Joe Biden's not out there being like, we're going to shut the government down if we don't get exactly what we want out of the House Republicans. Like, he's not an idiot, right? He's not he's trying to he's not trying to make like policy gains right now. Right? The possibility of like good things, new good things happening in America went out the window the minute the Republicans got the House. Um, he's just like, what about the status quo? Right. Like, why don't you just like just let's give us the budget? Let's like keep things going until next year. And then one of us will, you know, one of us will be in charge, hopefully, after that, of all three, <laughs> all three branches. But um, I don't think he has the Democrats to bail him out, Ben. And so I, I it's hard. I, I don't know how this ends. I mean, it probably ends the same way that the debt ceiling fight ended, which is um, maybe just a little bit different. You know, like McCarthy may have to just get this piece of legislation through the House with some Democratic support. Um, that means he's not going to get much out of it ideologically. Um, I would guess then the right wingers will revoke um, and try to deprive him of his speakership. But then we're right back to where we were in January, where they tried to deny him the speakership in the first place. And they ultimately couldn't get it done because there is no other like there's no candidate that the freedom, the Freedom Caucus radicals like who's going to get 218 yeah. votes. Uh, so they're, I mean, honestly, all just wasting everyone's yeah. time. I mean, it's, it's just so frustrating. It is. And I mean, the. Uh... Well, this isn't going to happen. So I don't even know why I'm saying it, but there are whatever. It's uh, eight uh, Congress uh, people who uh, are Republicans that represent districts that went for Biden. I saw, I saw them caucusing on the steps of the Capitol the other day. They had a press conference. Uh, they're worried about. They're worried at two fronts. One, they got to get through a, a primary that's controlled by MAGA uh, to get to the general election, which is controlled by centrists. So they, you talk about a tough. Uh, road to walk, trying to uh, deal with that. I, I, um, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's far too uh, unrealistic to expect any of them would break off and support the the Democratic. Just have a Keen Jeffries take over. Do you follow me? That there's there's a solution right there. Uh, I think you would need six of them if my math is correct. And I don't know if that's going to happen. So I don't even know. Talk about it. All right, uh, let's talk about Armageddon, which is uh, your latest column for Newsweek. Uh, which I saw you sent it to me today, and I was at the doctor's office in the waiting room, uh, and I read it. I'm like, you gotta be kidding! Me. <laughs> the headline was so depressing. I will now read to you the headline. Uh, do you write your own headlines? I send suggestions. I see, um, but those suggestions don't often make it into print. Okay. So no, I don't. I don't usually write the headlines on my articles. Well, here's the headline uh, in your latest column, uh, and and it's the column itself is, uh, I think, more uh, nuanced than the headline. In my humble opinion, the very bad electoral college news for Democrats, uh, and uh, I would say the very bad news electoral college news for Democrats has been the same news story since 2020. This freaking map. <laughs> <laughs> it's guaranteed that they're essentially a minority party, even though they have a majority of the votes. Uh, that's pretty obvious now over the last, how many elections has it been? Five presidential elections where only once have Republicans uh, actually won the popular vote. And yet they have been victorious one, two, three times. Uh, am I correct with my math? Yeah. So it's six. Uh, all right. So, but why don't you get a little more specific as to what is this particular bad news uh, with the electoral map? Well, I'll be honest with you. I could write seven or eight different articles with that headline <laughs> with, 
with wildly different focuses, right? The very bad electoral news for Democrats about the Electoral College is that it still exists, still sucks just as bad as it did four years ago, um, and could cause us just as much heartache. But um, the gist of the piece is that the map, um, which remains, I think, tilted against Democrats. Now, that has not always been true. Um, in 04 and 08 and 2012, um, the, um, the Democrats actually had an advantage in the Electoral College to the point that it was much more likely in those three cycles that Democrats would have won an Electoral College majority with a popular vote minority. Remember, if John Kerry had won like 101,000 more votes in Ohio in 2004, he would have been, he would have been a, minority, a popular vote minority president. Um, and that's just not how the math adds up right now. Um, I had some hopes after uh, between 2016 and 2020 that Democrats might have improved their position in the Electoral College based on gains in certain places. Um, and some of those gains have materialized, but the places that they have materialized, like Arizona and Georgia, um, which, which Joe Biden won in 2020, those are still right of the median states. Okay, that means um, if Joe Biden wins the national popular vote by three points, he is likely to win it by much less in Arizona and Georgia, based on our current understanding of the dynamics in those states. Okay. The bad news is that every 10 years, we do the redistricting and much of the focus is on gerrymandering and the impact on the House of Representatives. But we also derive uh, your, number, your number of electoral votes for each state is derived from your two senators, which is the same in every state, as a, if you've been listening to me for the last seven years on this show, you know how much I love that. Uh, everybody gets the same two senators. And then you add that number to your congressional delegation, to your House number. So how many House reps do you have plus your two senators? That's your electoral vote in the Electoral College. Um, and that number changes from election from, you know, every 10 years, some states see their Electoral College number change. Um, and the way that American net migration has been working in the last 20 years is people have been you know, not in like, you know, Republicans talk about this, like it's like a, like a great migration out of like Illinois and Michigan and stuff. And it's, you know, like every time somebody packs their bags and leaves Chicago and is like, I'm done with this place. Again, it'd be like front page story on, on Fox news. Like, you know, <laughs> Steve from Jefferson park can't <laughs> take it anymore. <laughs> and it's always people that are just like, I just like, I want to retire in the sunshine. Anyway, every 10 years that map changes a little bit. And yeah. so um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, mm-hmm. 11 states saw changes um, in their electoral map. Um, but the net gain in terms of the 2020 map is that Republican states, you know, states that went for Trump, mm-hmm. Republican states gained three seats or three, <clears throat> three electoral votes and, and Democratic states lost three electoral votes. Wow. Um, if that makes sense. Okay. There's yeah, 538 sense, yeah. total electoral votes. Um, and so team red has gotten a little bit of a tiny bump um, in terms of, if you you know Nate Silver was like we ran 140 million simulations and this is how it came out. Um, the Republican side looks a little bit better after all of the redistricting has changed those electoral college vote numbers. Um, so, for example, Texas gained another two uh, House seats, which means their electoral college number went from 38 to 40. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida gained one. North Carolina gained one. Uh, Montana gained one. Those are all red states. 
um, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Illinois, California all lost a seat. Um, now it's not it's not all straightforward and simple, right? Like Oregon and Colorado, which are blue states, gained seats. Ohio and West Virginia, which are red states, lost seats. Um, and then you have a gain. You have one extra seat in North Carolina, which has been achingly close uh, for Democrats for a long time, but we keep losing it. So the reason I wrote the piece um, is, A, to remind people of the nightmare that's coming away next year. I want to ruin everyone's trip to the doctor's office. Okay, you have a bad trip to the doctor's office. The way that I see, like, like I mean, it's just, think of the number three, okay? Um, so Biden's 306 to 232 victory in the Electoral College in 2020 would now be a 303 to 235. You know, that's just like the baseline. Um what was but it? What was it? Down, his actual one again? Uh, the actual one was 306 to 232. Yeah, that's right. Um, and on this map, it's 303 to 235. Got it. Um, there's a website called 270 to Win uh, that has an interactive map that lets you play around. It'll show you the change. It'll show you all the states that changed their electoral votes. Um, you can do a map from 2020. You can do a map for 2024. It's a, it's a cool little way to waste um, 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, I got tons of that. Yeah. Uh, so the problem here comes in really close election scenarios. Okay. Um, scenarios that like could end in a 269, 269 tie or scenarios where it's like the outcome is two, you know, 270 to 268 um, or, you know, and in that range, all of the, almost all of those close election scenarios have gotten worse for us. Um, let me give you one example from the column, okay? Um, you freeze the 2020 map, okay? That is, you give all the states that went for Biden to Biden again, you give all the states that went to Trump to Trump again, because we're gonna have a rematch. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, you freeze that map. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, you let's see sorry i went to the wrong part of the page um freeze the map but flip pennsylvania and georgia back to the republicans okay um in 2020 biden would still have won 270 to 268 okay in 2024 same map same outcomes if you give pennsylvania and georgia to trump Trump wins the Electoral College 270 to 268. And all this stuff is impervious to who wins the popular vote, right? The Electoral College does not care. Um, and so um, we'll do another one. Um, let's say Biden holds on to Arizona, but Republicans win Wisconsin, Georgia, Nevada, and New Hampshire. Okay. Um, Again, like that would have been a 270, 268 win for Biden in 2020, and that's now a 271 to 267 loss for the for the Democrats. Um, so, basically, all election scenarios that are that are close that yield a, an electoral college outcome within six or seven electoral votes, um, those are now not great for us. <laughs> okay, there's a couple of scenarios that involve North Carolina where our position has improved, okay? Um, but the odds of North Carolina being the pivotal state in the electoral college are like basically zero. So so that's where we are. Um, things have just gotten a little bit worse for us. And, and I guess the takeaway is that we can really ill afford 
a super close election in the Electoral College. Like our odds of winning a very close election have gone down even further from what they were. So real, uh, here's my ultimate takeaway uh, for uh, nervous Nellies in the Democratic Party. Uh, do not read uh, David's latest column. You'll you'll not get any sleep. You'll have not only, suddenly have new things to worry about. Uh, but the reality has not changed from 2020, in my opinion. Uh, there's a decided advantage to the Republicans with the Electoral uh, College system that we have. And there's a, obviously a decided disadvantage to Democrats. Uh, and David, I ultimately, again, I've said this every time you're on the show, pretty much. It all comes down to this country's attitude toward Donald Trump. I mean, I, they rejected him pretty significantly in 2020. Uh, and um, there has been nothing that has occurred since 2020 that would, I think, change anyone's mind in terms of why you were against him in 2020. Uh, and so that's it. You just got to have to uh, get that message out because we can have this conversation at another time. I just don't think Joe Biden himself is a winning message. You've talked about this many times in the show. You wish there was another candidate running. He's the candidate. And I don't know anybody. I know a few people who are excited by Joe Biden, but those are just um, a handful. I would say the vast majority of people are indifferent or uh, 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 they oppose him. That's my view on Joe Biden. Uh, we'll close with this. Could you just imagine if Joe Biden said he wasn't going to run again? Like the situation, it would be just imagine it to be a contentious Democratic primary fight going on. Gavin Newsom, J.B. Pritzker, I don't know who would be in the race. Everybody would have to have positions on the migrants. The government shut down, you know, McCarthy. I mean, and Biden would be standing back. Hunter, Tom, uh, Hunter Thompson. Hunter Biden would not be an issue as much of an issue. You know what I'm saying? Because it wouldn't. Who cares? You know, uh, Kind of an interesting scenario. I guess Kamala Harris would be running, right? For sure. Um, I mean, you you reach a point where, as much as I would like Joe Biden to step aside, you, we reach a point chronologically where it gets harder and harder to have a have a good outcome with the amount of time that we have left um, to run a real primary and to have a real primary campaign. We're not there yet. I mean, if Biden stepped aside tomorrow and said, "I'm not running." Um, I would be buying drinks at the bar. <laughs> uh, I would just be so happy. Um, certainly the vice president would be a candidate. Um, I don't think that she's in as strong a position as, as uh, other vice presidents, just by virtue of uh, her, her record in office, perceptions of her record in office, racism, misogyny. And I guess, you know, I think she has some real flaws. Um, but I think that she would have less of a leg up on the competition than, um, than you might think, but yeah, Pritzker, Newsom, um, I'd love to see Gretchen Whitmer <laughs> take a, you know, take a swing in the national stage. Um, it'd be, it would be really fun, exciting, um, be good for us because we make our money writing about, uh, <laughs> writing about politics yeah. and there'd be more, more attention paid to the democratic primary. But the reality is unless something happens to him. He's, he's going through with this. 
Um, if you if you do have people that are excited about Joe Biden, could you send me their names and numbers? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Every now and then I'll read a column in the Washington Post. This is why you should be excited about Joe Biden. Okay, if you believe that. I don't even think the people right it believe it. But uh, All right, David Ferris, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, every other week on my show uh, and uh, – I guess once a week in Newsweek and Slate and every, everywhere else. F-A-R-I-S. Look him up on the internet, ladies and gentlemen. You'll find uh, all of his uh, great essays. So thank you, David. Thanks for having me on the show, Ben. I look forward to uh, two more weeks of American politics to yeah. talk about. Lord knows what's going to happen. Uh, that's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 